the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for The Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to The Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Sophie Dollar. Already in the midst of a stirring conversation here in the studio. It I is hope stirring. that you will join us. Who's, um, who's uh, Twinkies are these? These, <laughs> you know who's Twinkies those are. I've had, I haven't had a Twinkie and I don't think 20 years, but uh, Jacob brought me some Twinkies, a chocolate <laughs> Twinkie cake tonight. So I thought, well, shoot, I'll, I'll, I, I, I can remember. <laughs> so. That tweak is mine. Don't you touch it, Jacob. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, welcome, everybody. This is the Bible Live for the next 90 minutes. We're going to be talking about the Bible. Thank you, everybody. Thank, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, Let's see here. Now, we read this past week Psalm 41. And then uh, we read Proverbs. I really enjoyed the Proverbs, uh, chapters 1 and 2. Do you enjoy those? I do. Do I you do. really enjoy I do. I, I, they're very uh, uh, thought-provoking, very, very interesting. And what do, you, uh, what do you have to eat or snack on while you're enjoying them? No, I don't do that. You no, don't. I, don't. I don't snack at 9.30 uh, at night. You that's, don't? That's when they're, you know, we're on. The Bible Live, the Bible readings come on at 9.30, Monday through Friday, folks. If you hadn't discovered it, we are back on the air reading through the entire Bible. Five days a week reading the Bible. 15 to 20 minute reading every weeknight. And uh, you will get through the – whatever night you begin listening, 
a year from that night, you will have read through the entire Bible. So we want to encourage you to join us, the book of books. This book that is the... Well, everyone says, at least historians, and I think they're very accurate, the foundation of Western civilization and also the great source for our own culture and societal formation here in North America, uh, America, US, U.S. of A. Uh, but boy, are we forgetting this book. I mean, we are moving. That's one of the things we were talked about in the in the studio here before the program is that uh, for the last 50, 60 years, we're just moving, moving, moving away, 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 away from those foundational truths. I think I know that song. Truths. It comes from Rawhide. Uh, rolling, rolling, rolling. rolling yeah. Keep them doggies rolling, Rawhide. Oh, my lands. What, what have we turned loose here in the studio? But anyway, we're, we're making our way through the Bible. This past week, we read Psalm 41, Proverbs 1 and 2. There's a part of the program called the Wisdom and Worship segment. We read through the Psalms and the Proverbs to get our hearts tuned to worship, to hear from the Lord, and uh, hear from the Scriptures. And then we read a narrative portion of the Scripture where we uh, we move progressively, systematically, a very orderly fashion through the books of the Old and New Testaments. We kind of uh, we um, alternate back and forth from the Old Testament. Right now we're in the book of Mark, uh, chapters 8 through 16, this coming week, we'll finish up the – no, no, no. We finished up the book of Mark this past week, and we started we – So we're going to ask a few questions about Mark tonight. Yes. And Discuss so, a couple of things. And we went back on Friday. We started with the first five chapters of the book of Joshua. Ah. So we picked up where the people of Israel were camped on the east side of the Jordan. Yeah. Moses had died, 30 days of mourning for him, and then they were ready to – go across the Jordan River into battle with the city of Jericho under Joshua's leadership. And so that's what we read about this uh, this Friday evening, and we went back to the book of Joshua. So we'll be discussing and asking questions and hoping that you will join us in the discussion of these uh, chapters we read last week. Mark, Mark in the New Testament uh, is... Uh, the John Mark, we've already talked about who he is. He's uh, writing to to a degree. He's representing the insights and experiences of Peter. John Mark was a young man who was close to the disciples. Uh, he w- ran out into the darkness on the night Jesus was arrested in the uh, uh, Garden of Gethsemane. He was went with uh, Paul on his first missionary journey. Uh-huh. He accompanied Paul. He he left the journey. Maybe a little too young, maybe a little too inexperienced and couldn't take the pressure. We don't know what might have happened. But Paul didn't want to take him on the second one because he felt like he was unfaithful or undependable. Uh, Old Barnabas, good old Barnabas, this disciple-making, encouraging Barnabas, took him under his wing. Now, Barnabas had done the same thing with Paul. When Paul was being rejected by the early Christian churches because of they feared because Rightfully so. He had been part of uh, persecuting Christians and putting them in jail and part of the uh, collaborating in the um, the death of Stephen, the first martyr in, in uh, what was it, Acts chapter, was it eight? eight? Yeah, or seven or eight, that Paul uh, participated in the, the martyrdom of Stephen. And so they were afraid of him, but old Barnabas, Barnabas took him under his wing and was became his sponsor. And, and discipled him and nurtured him, 
and and he came into his own in terms of ministry in the first century, the great apostle Paul, the great missionary of the first century. Well, Barnabas does the same thing now with John Mark, and uh, and John Mark also grows and matures and progresses. And later on in his life, Paul, who was very displeased with him at one time, writes and says, hey, send to Timothy. He says, send John Mark to me. He, is, he could be of great comfort and useful to me. And so uh, maybe in helping write his uh, his letters, we, we're not quite sure. But the, the point is, is that uh, that's John Mark. That's who the author of the book of Mark is. Focus is on Jesus as a servant, his servant role. He goes from place to place, town to town, person to person, and he makes a difference in individual lives. There, You could make a list of 20 or 25 people from the Gospel of Mark that he touched, uh, um, grandmas and mothers and dads and, and young children and interrupting funerals, and all of these stories. And uh, we we've been reading about them in the Gospel of Mark. So let's uh, let's talk about some of these Jacob, some of these people. Uh, one a very interesting experience in John. I'm sorry, in Mark chapter eight, Jesus meets this fellow that he has to heal in two phases, which is very unusual. Does because, that mean he did wasn't powerful enough to do it in one phase? Uh, that's the question. Uh, people wonder. Well, did he, did it? Why did it take two times? Well, may, do you happen to have a Bible with you? This I evening? I do. It's sitting right here in front well, of maybe, me. But let me give the uh, maybe, background to our yeah. listeners. I don't know about the background, but how about the verses? Oh, Mark chapter eight, eight verses twenty-two. 22 yeah, that's on your questions. Uh huh. By the way. I know how you get your questions. How do you think I get them? Well, you get them with you and your family. You sit down, you compose all the questions. Well, I, I yeah, you're right. We do, and we refine them from time to time because of your input. You sometimes say that's a stupid question, and I go, okay. I don't know that I've ever said it's a stupid question. <laughs> well, you say the question is based on a wrong premise, and and then you explain it to me, and I go, you know. I think you're right. And so I Well, let's just apply so. that principle to this instance. Because I like you a lot. Wow. Of course you do, because I'm charming. I carry a good tune. I dress well. Yeah. Know? When Jesus arrived at Bethsaida with his disciples, some people brought a blind man to him, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Now, uh-huh. as you know, uh-huh. I'm interrupting a little commentary. That's all right. Parenthetically, Jesus never took two times with anybody. He raised he people from the dead. He said, rise, they rose. He said, get up, they got up. He said, uh, uh, see, they saw. You know, he did He did it all one time. One time. But this guy was just a but stubborn somehow, case. Is here it? it takes two. Uh, they it begged takes him, two. They begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. That's interesting. He took him apart, aside. Then, spitting on the man's eyes, very interesting thing, he laid his hands on him and asked, can you see anything now? The man looked around and said, yes, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Um, Now, that is a very, uh, I don't know about that translation. You have your Greek uh, interlinear there. You can look at it. Uh, He said, see that? That falls right into the idea that the guy couldn't see them very clearly. Uh, they looked like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hand on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. 
His sight was completely restored, and he could see it clearly. Jesus sent him away, saying, don't go back into the village on your way home, which is also a very interesting thing. Why? In some of these miracles here that he's touching these people's lives, early in his ministry, he tells them to be real quiet about it. You know, go to the temple, tell the priests about it, and present yourself for cleansing, the ceremonial cleansing for healing. But don't go shout it well, you know, to everybody. Well, you see, I w- my first objection, my first speed bump is mm-hmm. the word you injected, ceremonial cleansing. Uh, I would like to exclude that word if I may. Okay, just ceremonial then. No. No cleansing I said that me. word, <laughs> uh, ceremonial. It doesn't say ceremonial. It's for cleansing. But obviously it's a religious ritual, and he yeah, goes and you do this. I, may I share something with you and all of our listeners across the very well, wide let me ask you this, and the you, fruited plain of Texas. Before you get all wrapped up in that uh-huh. and your in your verbosity, uh-huh. do, did they go to the – when they were cleansed, uh-huh. leprosy, uh-huh. blindness, uh-huh. lame, when they went to the, present themselves in the temple – uh, they were there was a a, a a a baptism of sorts, right? There was water. It was used a cleansing. A, there was an anointing. A, it wasn't that the idea? A, a, a ceremonial yes. washing. Yes, yes, yes. And it had significance. Yes. Uh, I mean, it, it meant, yes. had spiritual meaning and significance. Right. Could we compromise on something? Okay. I knew they would get you to let me talk. I like compromise. Um, the my point is this. In the Christian world, and I respect this, mm-hmm. they categorize these different laws as ceremonial, uh, civil, and what else? Mm-hmm. I don't know. You, you know better than I do. Moral laws. Mm-hmm. Okay, moral. Let's say moral. Okay, now, but the word ritual occurs nowhere in the Jewish Bible. Nowhere. Because for the Jews, what the Christians classify as ceremonial, etc., is not ceremonial. They're all equivalent. In fact, we don't know which one's worth one point and which is worth ten points. So the reason that, so I'm saying, certainly if we're saying it in a Christian context, we should say ceremonial. If we're going to say he went to the Levite priest for the ceremonial, that technically would be incorrect because only the Levites are allowed, according to the Bible, Mm -hmm. to make the public announcement that this man has been healed. Mm -hmm. So he's no longer excluded, living as an outcast, whatever. And so they were considering the effect on the people around him. He may have had this disability. He may have some disease, perhaps communicable. But while he needs treatment and he needs care, maybe he has... I don't know, sexual dysphoria. Um, but So maybe he needs some treatment. But their concern is when they're walking down, even the person with the disease is supposed to call out unclean, unclean. He's supposed to think of others. So once the priest has determined that he is healed, the priest gets to make the announcement. That's why Jesus was saying, now you go to the priest and let them make the announcement. Sure. So that's the only thing I want to say. And by when I say ceremonial cleansing or washing, I, I'm not trying to be, what, what's the word, disrespectful or diminish? I'm not trying to diminish. Uh, I it's understand. Impo- it, it's very important. In fact, we see Jesus himself oh. giving great importance to it when he goes to get 
to be baptized, to inaugurate his ministry, which right. is also something. Because the Levites do the baptizing. Yeah, and he went to his brother, his cousin, second cousin, John the Baptist, because he's a Levite. And he right. says to John, but for all righteousness, right, righteousness right, right. to be fulfilled. So th- it's an important step. Obviously, right. it's not just something you do or don't do. Uh, but it is. Uh, it, it is ceremonial in the sense that it, it represents a cleansing and washing. It See, represents- the word ceremonial, now, and I and I 100% appreciate that that's mm-hmm. a Christian thought. That's mm-hmm. beautiful. It's fine. Well, we apply the same thing to baptism, for example. Yeah, okay. And, I, and I'll, I'll live with that, and I can understand that. But that is not considered just a form or a celebration or an anniversary or a ceremony. Who, baptism? A baptism. It's, not. it's a ceremonial washing. It, for the Christian point of view, not for the Jewish. And this idea of the healing. Oh, so it's more important to you guys than it is even to us, huh? The, 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 well, actually, I don't know if I could classify it more important, but I could say it should be important to everybody. In fact, sure. uh, what we're talking about here. I, I think you're overestimating you're reading into the word ceremonial a disrespect or a diminishing of importance that's not there. I don't think so. I think I was compromising and respecting the fact that Christians classify it as ceremonial. Uh-huh. But uh, the Jews don't consider it ceremonial. Do the Jews have any ceremonies at all? Uh, no. Everything no they do, uh, they understand is something that God said do, so they don't have the... Uh, the foresight, the insight to say, well, this one is ceremony and this one is not. Now, I'm not saying that Christians can't do that. They can do that. But for the Jews, they don't have the wherefore-all, the right to say, well, this means this, this means that. All we know for sure is God said do it. I see. Well, I don't. I think probably okay. it's not worth talking well, it's about. It's not worth debating. Yes. <laughs> More, uh, but let's say let's mutually respect and say that Christians do do that, and I, and I can live with that because that's the Christian classification. All right. Okay. Well, let's just go back to this guy now. I'm Bethsaida. Okay. He's blind. He says, "I can see men as walking." Remember, uh, what does Bethsaida mean? Bethsaida. Bethsaida. Beth means oh, house I never heard of. Pronounced like that, but that's okay. Go ahead. Uh, house of, Beth means house of. Uh-huh. Seder. Is that Seder? No, Beth, no. no. Little house of fish. Oh, is that right? It's a little fish. All right. Yeah, you want a little fish. Bethlehem is a little bread, so you put Bethsaida uh, you between two Bethlehems and uh, you have a fish sandwich. You got yourself a fish sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, All right. So okay, much. let's get serious uh, okay. here. So he touches the man's eyes. He says, I see men as trees walking. Uh-huh. Now, we look at that. Us Gentiles who are just reading the book. Let's just, just say Christians. Uh, okay. Because I don't think uh, there's a group of people out there, Jews or Gentiles, that couldn't care less about the Bible. So I don't think that really counts. I think the religious people that counts with. Okay, we read the book. We read it. We yeah. got it here in English. Somebody's reading the Bible and they and go, the okay, Christians I want to read it. the Bible. Okay. And so whatever he is, Christian, in fact, Jewish, let, or whatever. Let me just interject if I may real quick. I want to really mean this. Mm-hmm. If the Christians don't save America, it will not get saved. It's up to the Christians. Uh, you're exactly right. No, yeah. you go ahead. Ed. All right. So here we got this uh, just normal Joe Mary citizen thing. You know, I think I read the Bible. This book is – so we read this and we go, well, look, I can see uh, trees. They look like trees walking. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and so we go, what in the world was going on? What was this experience all about? And what we generally pick up is that Jesus healed him in two phases, 
and that the first time he couldn't see really well. Then he placed his hands on the mind's eyes again, and this time he was totally healed, and he could see everything clearly. And so, uh, you know, if you're an ophthalmologist or an optometrist, you, you, you say, ah, we got it this time. Whatever it was, it's now fixed. But it took two times. Uh, of healing in this particular case, which is unusual. It didn't happen ever again in another situation that we know of. So the point is what actually did happen? And it either took t- – maybe this guy, it took two times. Maybe it was for the sake of his disciples mm-hmm. that it took two times. Uh, he took them aside. And remember, he took them out of town to do to do this. Mm-hmm. So that – that's kind of part of the formula of this. Sure. Part of the setting is he took him out of town, out of the view of the general public, I suppose. But uh, so it just took two times, and we don't know why, and that's it. You know, now, and I you have, have an interesting. I insight. do, and I must say it's based on Jewish historical interpretation. Mm-hmm. But I also say it this. makes sense to me. Also, I can I've heard you talk about uh-huh. it, and I thought, well, that makes sense. But I, I got to say, I find myself in an unusual position. And I enjoy it, I should say, mm-hmm. of defending Jesus. Why? So, because, you see, I don't think Jesus would have to take two times to heal the guy. I think Jesus, if he can heal, he can heal. He doesn't need two times. Yeah. See, now that, I would say, is, is totally logical and clear. Whatever happened here, it wasn't because Jesus needed two times, right. two swings at the okay. bat. You know, okay, he sure. didn't need two. It, whatever it could have so been, I am defending him. It could have been, as I said, maybe he was doing this for the sake of his uh, disciples, uh, of their onlookers, for the man himself. Perhaps, there was yeah. something going on yeah. with the man himself, but it sure. it wasn't like Jesus couldn't do it. I, I think. We would all agree if Jesus is the Redeemer, the Savior, the Messiah, and the, following the guidance of the Father, the empowering of the Spirit, that that whatever happened here, it was intentional. It was not just, well, he couldn't do it the first time. He had to do it again. That's not what happened. Okay. So that brings me to your particular insight about uh, about theologically, you bring an insight here about how uh, Jesus, who was a Jew, and he was, he's he's preaching the biblical worldview to the people of Israel. Uh, he's and so it is my understanding from your insight that the Bible is very clear in the Old Testament, Psalm uh, one, right? Psalm is one, and then Jeremiah seventeen. Yes. Yeah, let, let me read Psalm one just okay. real quick. Uh, we'll just wait right blessed is the man. Oh, uh, I know it, but I. I you know, it's it's uh, one three, I believe. I know, I know. I, I love Psalm one. It's gorgeous, and yeah. it's and it's, it's very fond of you. Uh huh. <laughs> Thank you. You know that from whom? Uh, who told you that? I have it on good authority. Oh, the joys it says of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. Or stand around with sinners or join with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never prosper, never wither, and they prosper in all they do. And so there are other passages as well that talk about men being like trees. There is a there is a physical world that we live in, 
that we walk around here on planet Earth and with our five senses and so on. And then there are there is are the roots that we don't see. Well, may and, I and may I read Jeremiah? Our lives. Let yes. me read Jeremiah. Please do. That's chapter seventeen, and uh-huh. it begins selectively like this. It goes, and those who trust in the Lord, for He, the people, the man, uh-huh. woman too, uh, for He will be like a tree planted by the water, that extends His roots into a stream. And it will be not the fear of heat that comes upon him or the leaves that will not turn green. So the Jewish understanding is is uh-huh. that human beings are symbolically like trees. Let me, let me just say, I don't think it's the Jewish understanding. It's a biblical understanding. Well, okay. I, I, I have, yes. Yeah, you read it? It's I, right there? I did, uh-huh. and, and, I, and I cannot disagree with you. So biblical is a better choice. Roots and, that reach deep into the water, uh, and so there's a spiritual dimension of our lives. So if you words, look at unseen. a tree, if you look at a tree, a tree exists in two worlds. Uh-huh. Below the ground is what we might call the roots, the spiritual, unseen, unseen. But above the ground is the part of the tree we see. So that's the physical. Mm-hmm. So. I think what this story means, if it means traditionally what Jewish thought is about trees, uh-huh. and I choose to think that, I think he's saying to me, he's telling the man, look, I want you to see there's more than one aspect to a human being. There's the spiritual and there's the physical. First, I'm going to show you the spiritual. So the so thing, I see that, men walking so the like thing that was happening here is that it wasn't just all about healing his eyesight. It right. was about teaching a spiritual lesson to this individual. Amen, brother. Oh, is that right? Okay. Uh, amen, brother. Okay. In fact, I would say that he's saying, look, I want you to understand that like trees, the Jewish understanding, mm-hmm. that there's just symbolically – that uh, the trees are ceremoniously no, <laughs> sorry, I just, uh, no, no, no. I, I'm sorry. I, yeah, I, I, that it's, was, it's okay. That was wicked of me. There I is think. absolutely no reason why you shouldn't insert the word ceremony anywhere you want because you already have. <laughs> okay, but that's a joke. Okay, at any rate, but um, but at any rate, so he's saying, look, I want you to understand that human beings are more than physical. Uh-huh. It's spiritual. It's like a tree, and, and I'm going to say something. Look at the line the man says. I see men walking like trees. Well, trees do not walk. Ding, right. Bingo. And what he's saying is men are walking like trees? Well, what do you mean walking? Well, they're walking Word worlds, both spiritual and physical. That's right. it. Yeah. And I, I do hear music. Is it just the angels talking to me, or are they talking to you too? I hear them. Okay. So, so the point is, is that there was a spiritual, there was some, there was some discipleship taking place. There was some teaching. There was yeah. about ministering to this person spiritually, sure. helping yes. to understand his yes. own reality. And when he saw that, that bit of faith, that bit of transformation. Uh, then Jesus continued on and, and touched him again, and his Soapy, you have done just wonderful. Restored. Listen, could I ask everybody in the audience to give Soapy a round of applause? 210-340-9585. Don't go away. We'll be right back. 
Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that's Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. We were created to give God glory. Welcome to today's encouragement from Our Daily Bread. Today's reading titled, Giving Credit, was written by Cindy Hess Casper. In the early 1960s, some unusual paintings featuring a person or animal with huge, sad eyes became popular. Some considered the work kitschy or tacky, but others delighted in it. As the artist's husband began to promote his wife's creations, the couple grew quite prosperous. But the artist's signature, Margaret Keene, didn't appear on her work. Instead, Margaret's husband presented his wife's work as his own. Margaret fearfully remained silent about the fraud for 20 years until the couple's marriage ended. It took a courtroom paint-off between them to prove the true artist's identity. The man's deception was clearly wrong. But even as followers of Jesus, we may find it easy to take credit for talents we possess— leadership skills we display, or even for our kind deeds to others. But those qualities are possible only because of God's grace. In Jeremiah 9, we find the prophet lamenting the lack of humility and the unrepentant hearts of the people. He wrote that the Lord says we shouldn't boast of our wisdom, our strength, or our riches, but only that we might understand and know that He is the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. Our hearts fill with gratitude as we realize the identity of the true artist. James 1.17 tells us that every good and perfect gift is from the Father. All of the credit, all of the praise, belongs to the giver of good gifts. Today's encouragement was provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries. Social media is the norm now, and you can connect with AM630 The Word on social media with Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and tune in. Get connected with us today. Find out how at the top of the page at am630theword.com. Hey, this is Bob Olszewski. Thanks for listening to Plugged In. Singer Maggie Rogers has just released her first album, Heard It in a Past Life. This 12-track collection is filled with honest, thought-provoking lyrics that follow Maggie's personal journey and tell of someone simultaneously looking to the past while expectantly longing for all that is yet to come. Maggie's honesty gets expressed in some problematic ways, including a dash of language and brief nods to using alcohol and marijuana. That said, this debut doesn't assault listeners with explicit content. Overall, it's an artistic creation that chronicles the significant moments and relationships that have shaped this emerging young singer's life. For a full review, be sure to visit PluggedIn.com radio.
Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. Outshines the sun. I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. Way You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do remember me. All right, we are back. And I was just reminding John, uh, old Johnny Cash. Sang another song a long time ago called "I See Men as Trees Walking." You know, he sang about this yeah. man. That's in neat. The book that should, that would have been Walmart. appropriate, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah it'd been great. See uh, if we can find that. Actually, that song. Johnny Cash. You know the old joke is that money that was found in the commode. Mm, no. no. <laughs> oh, or my. Kitty Wells, a place where cats go to get a drink. I don't. Know. Oh my goodness, those are those are back look, when I was twelve. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go. Um, let's go back here to the scriptures in Mark chapter. We're talking about this man that was healed in two, uh, two attempts or two two steps. So, or uh, my position is is the traditional Jewish view from uh, uh-huh. antiquated times that uh, men exist in two worlds, spiritual and physical. But see that raises uh, that raises a point here that. Uh, folks, you need to, that's one of the reasons we pay uh, Jacob here the big bucks and we have him along is because uh, Jesus is a Jew. He lives in Israel. He's you tell everybody that? I don't know if that's a good thing to tell folks. His followers are Jews. <laughs> They're all here. Jews. They, he reads the Jewish scriptures. He's a devoted a follower of Jehovah. I mean, he, he he's 100% totally, absolutely Jewish in his teaching, his perspective, and his words, and his, he's the Jewish Messiah. And so it is helpful as we go through these scriptures to have a, a Jewish person alongside who knows the language, the culture, the 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 the, 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 the what am I trying to say? The cultural uh, uh, mores uh, of the of the people of Israel because they can help us. I've often noticed as we read through the same passage. Jacob will have a whole different a take, a, a whole different perspective because he picks up on some uh, Jewish uh, cultural cue or some linguistic cue or some reference in the Old Testament uh, teaching that we that we don't put together automatically ourselves, but but it, they're perfectly natural, they're perfectly legitimate. And fact is, I'm not sure how we can really appreciate and understand. The life and times of Jesus of Nazareth, his teachings and all, without some point of reference in, uh, of course, Hebrew scriptures, Hebrew history, Hebrew culture, uh, and so on. So uh, that's why these are important. Now, these little insights, we can take them or leave them. I treat them like lubies. What? I treat them like lubies. 
it's a cafeteria. Take what you want, leave yeah, what you exactly, want. Yeah, exactly, you know. But if it makes sense, I find it often uh, that Jewish perspective is actually more explanatory. It makes some of these events clearer uh, to us than if we're just reading them point blank in English off the page and we're trying to figure out, well, what was going on here? Um it doesn't make one particularly wrong or sinful or anything like that, but it's great a great help to us as we make our way through the scriptures to get that to understand that perspective and that background. Now, uh, here's one too that we want to pick up in Mark chapter nine. We have this really remarkable experience: Jesus predicting his death to his disciples, and they and they uh, he's explaining and revealing that he is the Messiah. Uh, Peter picks up on that, uh, that you are the Messiah, you're the Son of God. And then he calls to the crowd to join his disciples. He's teaching the crowd, and he's talking about what it means to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. You must turn away from your sinful, selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. That was an extreme statement, take up your cross. I was like, pick up your electric chair, you know, take up your instrument of execution, your noose, uh, your, your rope, put it around your neck and follow me. Uh, the idea is that we are to die to our own self and our own desires and our own perspective and live only to his and, and trusting God's truth and God's perspective. And so if you hang on to your own life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, Jesus oh, you says, know what? Sophie, you will save it. We have some calls. Okay. And and then the point is, is he says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? And he starts talking about when the Son of Man comes in his glory. And look at this verse in chapter 9. I tell you the truth, some of you standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God arrive in power. What a statement. And then the very next verse says, six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his closest confederates or disciples, and he led them up on a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed. His clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. And Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. And so you have what is called the transfiguration. Uh, some would say this is a fulfillment of what Jesus said. I tell you the truth, some standing right here now will not die before they see the kingdom of God arrive in power. So six days later, these guys see Christ in his glorified uh, persona, his glorified expression, uh, appearing with Moses and Elijah on this mountain. Now, you even think you know what mountain that was, right? Jacob? Well, I I think you're referring to the Sermon on the Mountain, which I think is Mount Tabor. Oh yeah, that's but, right. Uh, I don't know about this mountain necessarily. Okay, so um, okay, here. Wh- wh- let me uh, ask you, and then we'll, we'll take our call from our callers now. But I want you to be thinking about what okay. what is going on here. I I love the story of the Transfiguration yes. and, and the idea that Jesus manifested in all of His glory and His beauty and, and right. that. Uh, the, these three disciples got to see it. I, I love their reactions. They're they're kind of very human type reactions. Uh, Paul, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, Peter, kind of blurting out things like Peter was prone to do. But uh, the point is, is that what what do you think was going on here? What why did 
why did this take place? Why was it necessary? Did it have? It, why was it Moses? And it, we just left Moses. He died uh, on a mountain out on the east side of the Jordan River. He didn't get to go into Canaan. We left him back in the book of Deuteronomy. And so now Moses, this is evidently his time to step on into Canaan. He did finally make his way into the promised land here in the New Testament. Yeah. And Elijah, the prophet, some people think these are representatives of both the law and the prophets. That could be give us a little insight about what was going on. But uh, maybe you can give us some thoughts, and maybe who knows, our listeners might be able to do that as well. Let's take, uh, is it line, line one, one is Bob. John? Okay, let's go and talk with Bob on line one. Hi, Bob. What's going on in your world? Greetings, uh, Soapy. I want to thank you for the text you sent me a couple of weeks ago. Good. I had I had I amused uh, uh, about uh, we need to be uh, meek to inherit the, those the meek shall inherit the earth, and yet we shall go boldly uh, to the throne of grace. And I said, what's, it seems like a little oddity, but you pointed out, well, he who saves his life shall lose it, and he who gains his life shall yeah, the, save save it. And it's a, it's an odd di- it's an odd dialectic. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I thought it was—I thought it was a good response that you gave me. I appreciate it, Bob. We find those. Uh, I appreciated the question too, by the way. Uh, but we find a lot of those uh, dichotomies, you know, about the if you want to save your life, you you, you, you give it away, you know, and the rich will be poor, and this. That, yeah. There's a lot of these contradictions or paradoxes, as they call them. Yes, you, and love love your enemy, love your enemies, for instance. Yeah, there's another. It's another. It's a, it's another uh, dichotomy, yeah, I guess yeah. you'd call it. And what was it? Uh, but, uh, be meek. The meek shall inherit the earth, and then we're to po- enter into God's presence to the throne boldly. So you were con- yeah, showing yeah. that that conflict between meekness and boldness. Yeah, I like it a lot. But any, anyway, I, uh, the John R. Cash. It makes me think. Well, I really was appropriate to call because I was just today. I, I went to the <laughs> to the song "Talking Letters." Um, talking leaves and you're talking about trees and uh, the talking leaves of course were the uh what what uh, sequoia's father uh, uh talked about with him as a, he said what are these what are these uh, papers on the ground and and he said oh, these are talking leaves the white man uh, these are two cherokee men the white man uh, he can he can Put his thoughts in another in another white man's thoughts, many many a hundred miles away by using these talking leaves. Wow! And uh, uh, but uh, anyway, it's, uh, John R. Cash has a song about that. But uh, Sequoia, it was pointed out at the, the Sabbath gathering where I went to. Uh, this woman, Matsaya, was there. She's really based in East Texas, but she her her kids are in in San Antonio, so she comes down here during the winter a lot of times. Uh-huh. And she was there, and she was teaching. Hey, you know, we have to look at Sequoia. Because uh, uh, the the father's name is is in his in his name, uh, and he developed the Cherokee alphabet uh, to try and uh, so the Indians, or so, shall we say, the, so the First Nations people could also have uh, the the talking leaves. Yeah, and uh, I've heard that. But, uh, yeah. but uh, also, uh, I was thinking about the roots. Uh, the roots of the tree is, it, it means that they're unseen. Uh, unless you really do do some investigating, those roots are unseen. And I was I was thinking, you know, we we think of our roots as being uh, John Locke and George Washington and 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 uh, the great men like that, Edmund Burke and all the great thinkers who wrote the Federalist Papers and 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 Madison and and uh, <coughs> Jefferson and and uh, 
we don't we 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 talk about Israel in third person, and we talk about Madison and and the Revolutionary War, uh, Washington and Lincoln. We talk about them, even though they're long dead. We talk about them in first person. So we had a civil war. We fought World War One, but we weren't alive during then. Mm-hmm. But we don't. We talk about Israel. We talk about them in third person. Or shouldn't we talk about them? Shouldn't we talk about them in first person? The way the way the uh, they do in the synagogue. Yeah, like, I think we'd be a lot better off. And I think yeah, this is what Malachi. This is what Malachi is driving at. This is what Malachi is driving at. And and uh, I would say uh, what's unseen is is uh, also Joseph. Uh, the Joseph tribes, the the ten tribes. They were taken up into uh, the Caucasus, and they, they migrated to Europe, and they migrated here. And, and uh, so we are really, uh, we're the other stick. And even the Muslims call us Notrim, Notrim, and the Jews call us Notrim, and, and uh, the Jews call us the great. What does that mean? Uh, the, the, the people of the Nazarene, uh, the, 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 the man of Nazareth. But Notrim, by the, to, the, to the Arab mind, Notrim means the Westerner. Um, but it also means the Christian. But, um, and, and to, the, to the Jews also, the, the Notrim are the people of the Nazareth, uh, the Nazareth man, the follower of the Nazareth uh, rabbi. And, uh, but uh, I think we are, reduc- we are reductionist when we, and, and we have to join the two sticks, but uh, Ahmadinejad and the, 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 the Khomeini, they see, the great Satan and the little Satan, Judah, the United States. So they can see it, but for some reason, we don't see it, and it's the root that's down below the tree. We don't see it because it's down below the tree, and we don't do the investigation. That A real arborist goes down and he checks on the roots and aerates them out and says, let's see how this tree is doing. But we don't do that. We we go third. We go... First person to George Washington, and we go third person to Joseph and Moses and, and uh, Elijah. Bob, you got something there. Uh, well, I got an echo. Picked up an echo all of a sudden. It must be something to do with your uh, placement of your phone. But thanks for calling in. I'm, I want to talk a little bit about what you just shared with us, okay? I think that's a great idea, Jacob. The idea is that uh, – well, it's a great idea. Maybe it's just one of the wild – Soapy's wild-eyed ideas, no, too. I, I think it's interesting. We are the people of God. You know, I, I think it would help tear down that wall between whether well, Jews are this one thing and we're Christians or another. We we frankly aren't – there isn't that division, I don't believe, from the point of view of God. We are the people of God. We That's that's it. that's all there is to it. We've been grafted in. We're part of Israel. That's the idea of the people who love and follow the true and living God, of God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and – and uh, there's, we should identify more closely with uh, David and, and you know God's people in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, the prophets and so on. They there we are linked to them. They we are an extension. Uh, we are the people of God in our era, as they were the people of God in theirs. And uh, in eternity, we'll all be the people of God together. I, I suppose. So what Bob is saying is that. Why don't we talk a little yeah, bit actually, more? Actually, the word he was using, Notzuim, uh, that's uh, actually the Hebrew word for the Christians. Because as Bob 
accurately said. It's it's the followers of the rabbi from uh-huh. Nazareth. Uh-huh. Say. So he's right. He's right. And it's the Hebrew word you might say if you're going to use strict Hebrew for uh-huh. Christians. Yeah. And so they're considered equal with Jews. I mean, there's not there's um, they're not in, in God's eyes. They're not in any way diminished or changed. I still insist. Now, maybe I'm weird about this. I don't know. I'm just this little no, old No, it's pat- not this, Soapy. I'm, it's not the only that, thing I'm weird no, about? No, that's not the thing that, <laughs> that you're weird about. Okay, thank you. Well, this little old Apache kid from West Texas and all, and now I've come to the conclusion after all those years that, you know, really, we we we're, it's not too, we are grafted in. We're part of the people of God. We're part of Israel. Okay, all right. So, um I, I I think you, I don't know maybe that mindset will cap be taken in general by God's people through the, in this era this time maybe that'll be a characteristic of the end times is that we discover one another as God's people and uh, quit uh, talking in terms of they and start talking in terms of we I don't know maybe Bob has a point there I, well, Bob has very a interesting good, Bob has an excellent point in <laughs> fact uh, might I say since you mentioned end times yeah. may I take a slight diversion well, yes why not. Uh, well, we are going to come back to the transfiguration. We sure right? okay. are. We okay. wouldn't dare leave okay. that. No. Let's let's let's. But I do want let's to digress. Tell you, yeah. So let's digress. On February third and fourth, uh-huh. what almost nobody in America realizes, though it's all it's big news. Today's, in, today's the tenth, so it's just one week ago. Okay. Uh, well, that's pretty good. You're major in math, I guess. Huh? Uh-huh. Yeah. Math major. And, uh, so means I'm real smart. You yeah, know. yes, one of those smart guys. Oh. Uh, that's one way to put it. <laughs> anyway, so um, the uh, but on the third and fourth, the Pope it did get reported that he went over to Dubai on behalf of the Catholic Church and on behalf of the Muslims. They entered into a written agreement. Now, and I'm going to tell you how anybody can Google it and find it. All Europe knows about this, all Europe's talking about. For some reason, it's not being really addressed in America. I can tell you how to Google it and find it. If you put in uh, Pope's Agreement uh, in Dubai, that's D-U-B-A-I, Dubai. The Muslims and the Catholics have entered into a document agreement. It's called something, rather. Well, it is called the Human Fraternity Document. Yeah. And what's fascinating to me is the Human Brotherhood. And I wonder why that's not ever taught. And almost nobody in America knows this took place yet in Europe. And now the it look it would appear that the two other groups, basically evangelical Christians and Jews, did not take place. Now the Pope didn't just send an emissary. Oh, no, no, this, these negotiations would took place for a year. Yeah, okay. So these negotiations have been taking place, and now they got oh, the document ready yeah, right. to sign between uh, the Catholic Church and who? Who, who uh, signed the, the it on main, the other side? One, the main imam, which is considered he's in Dubai, and if I can pronounce his name, let's see here. His name is. Uh, let's see. The main imam. The, he's like his name is Al Azhar. But he doesn't represent all of. Well, neither does the Pope really always represent Catholics. But we have the we have this agreement that's agreed from the official Islam or from uh-huh. the official. Or at least one Catholic. high official in one branch of Islam. Well, you know, that's one of the problems. We sit back and we make those distinctions in our yeah, mind, yeah. but they don't look at it that way. 
they have they're all Muslims, just like all Christians but, but are. Aren't all there the, the Sunni? The sure, you Sunni can. Sure, the, uh... that's a, a Western take, uh-huh. and you can go back. So, oh, well, those are Sunnis, and those, and they do do that. But when you get down to it. The only difference, but they're united on this. Well, what I'm saying is, since you brought that up, I don't want to really take it too big of a segue, but I'll tell you what the difference is between the two major groups of Islam. Is it's a fight between the uncles and the nephews back right. after, after the death after of the Muhammad, death of Muhammad, yeah, of who controls Islam. That's what it's about. Uh-huh. Other, but on the Muslim religion, they share the same common beliefs. Anyway, my point is. That if somebody wants to Google Pope's Agreement in Dubai, uh-huh. it's on February 3rd and 4th, you'll be surprised. Now, I have asked myself, why wasn't this reported big time in America like it was in Europe? Oh, yeah. And, and I'm speculating. I do not know why. But I'm thinking this is interesting. Maybe it's because some people in the evangelical world may consider this like some kind of a signing of an agreement that has been anticipated in the evangelical Christian world to take place at the beginning of the end times. Uh uh But what I find fascinating is that the Catholic Church officially and Islam officially have entered into this agreement, and they've negotiated it for what? better part of a year, and they've reached an agreement. The big shots show up to sign the agreement, like Trump and who else. Everything's negotiated prior to them arriving and signing. So... What's fascinating to me is when you go back and you read it and you think, this looks like a mutual acceptance and mutual respect of each religion being as authoritative as the other religion. Now, that's the way I'm reading it. Mm -hmm. But people can read it for themselves. But if you Google Pope's Agreement in Dubai, it was February 3rd and 4th. And like I say, it's reported all around the world, but it's not mentioned. The only thing I saw was mentioned in American news was that he flew to Dubai. Nothing about the agreement. And that, to me, is fascinating. <laughs> Nothing about the reason he flew to Dubai. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Wow. Yeah, anyway. I, I had not heard anything about it when right. you brought me the news tonight. Right. And I, wow, I'm struck with it. I'm, wow, that's, how, how, how could that happen? Uh, and what is going on? And, and uh, you know, I tell you what, Jacob, I asked Jesus to come back this year. And and, I, and I will tell you, there were a couple of witnesses on behalf of uh, this Dr. Ahmed Al Taib, uh-huh. and uh, the and, rep- and witnessing it was the founders from the Shiak Muhammad Ben Rashid and Shiak Muhammad Ben Zayed. So they had all these other people in agreement with what it says. Uh-huh. Now it's true that people may take it differently and how they interpret it, but nonetheless. For it to go back and become part of an, a sacrosanct agreement, uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, you got to sit back. I, I, I mean, it surprises me, but there's no way around this, that the well, official Muslim world, the official Catholic world, have entered into some type mm-hmm. of an agreement. Well, there you can you Google it. it, and you can read the agreement. There you have it, folks. I want a bunch of you Googling that and looking into it and knowing about it. What is going on? Uh, these, 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 I mean, the Pope doesn't travel like that just— Light. I mean, this is the Pope, uh, and he go and he signs this fraternal agreement or something. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I was just saying a while ago. I I think I told you this before. I I have really asked the Lord, Lord, come back this year, 2019. Let's make it. It sounds. It feels. It just feels right to me that 
things are happening. The 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 rubber band is tightening in, in on the world affairs, and we've we're everything's just getting so tense. And where will we go from here? And it just seems a natural. Th- I I said, okay, Lord, please come this year. I'd love to see Jesus uh, break open the clouds and the Messiah return. And uh, I, I want to be here when that happens. I truly do. Now, if I'm not, I'm not, and I'll go home to be with him another way. But um, I, it, I think it could happen this year. It could happen. The, all of the elements are there. Different pieces are are in place. Uh, and so maybe this could be a part of that whole process. Would mm-hmm. they? uh, Well, my only thing is, and I don't want to tell people mm -hmm. how to interpret or what to think, nothing Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. But I will say, if you Google it, the agreement's there, and you can read the terms of the agreement yourself and make your own judgments on it. But let's shall we go back to what we wanted to talk about? Okay, we were talking about. I'm I'm taking some of these questions that I wanted to answer. Transfiguration. What was the transfiguration was all about? we know clearly it seems evident that it was intentional. Jesus told his disciples, some of you here are going to see the Son of God transfer in his glory. And Peter, James, and John, six days later, they went with him, and this happened. Uh, were Moses and Elijah delivering you some kind of – what did they talk about? And what was this all about? There do we, see, a, a, do we see anything significant happen after the event? That yes. gives us, no, uh, there's a reason. Uh-huh. What's going on? Look at your in your Bible. Do you have your Bible I with you this right evening? Here. I okay. told you that. I have it. I know, but I just want to confirm that you still have it. I still right? have it. All right. Let's see what we got here. John tried uh, to take it away from me, but I, I well, kept it. Though. Yeah, well, John was just desperate to read the Bible, I guess. Okay, yeah. Uh, but the, Okay, so let's go back and see what we got. <clears throat> uh, so Jesus, he goes up on the mountain in chapter 9, right? Yes. Uh-huh. I took with him Peter, James, Jesus and John. To the city oh, my lands are going to have to wait. And the blind man was brought to him. John found it. All right, he, he found Jesus. it. If you'd only stop and touch me, if you'd only stop and touch me, if you'd only stop and touch me, I know I could see. If you'd only stop and touch me, if you'd only stop and touch me, if you'd only stop and touch me, I know I could see. So Jesus touched him. He put his hands on the blind man's eyes and he said, Now open your eyes and tell me what you see. And I can almost see that man now opening his eyes for the first time. Looking around and seeing the dim outline of the people around him, he said, I see men as trees walking. I see men as trees walking. I see men as trees walking. I'm beginning to see. I see men as trees walking. I see men as trees walking. I see men as trees walking. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. So Jesus touched him one more time. He laid his hands on his eyes and he said, Now open your eyes and look up and tell me what you see. And the man said, I can see all men clearly. I can see all men clearly. I can see all men clearly. I've begun to see. I can see all 
in fact, the Bible lie will continue. And if all that be okay? then I've just got. If you have. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. And soon all those around will warm up to its glowing. That's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it, you spread His love to everyone. You want to pass it on. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. What a wondrous time in spring when all the trees are budding, the birds begin to sing. We are back, our final segment of the Bible Live broadcast. We've been talking about the Gospel of Mark, chapters 8 through 16, taking a few of these uh, isolated incidents, these these people that Jesus approaches during the book of Mark. He, the, the, the Gospel of Mark, its particular bent is showing Jesus as a suffering and servant-hearted Messiah. Uh, he goes from person town to town, person to person, loving people, serving people, helping people, teaching people. And uh, we've talked about uh, a few of those uh, here. And we're looking a little bit at his discipleship ministry with uh, Peter, James, and John. And we were reflecting just before we, the break here, we were talking about the this event called the um, Mount of Transfi- Transfiguration. And Jacob was just fixing to kind of give us a little bit of a hint or a little bit of a talk about what what he thinks maybe might have been going on. If is there anything in the Hebrew yes. scriptures? Do you, ha- do you, you do have your Bible with you. I do. Yeah. Would you be so kind to read nine verse seven? Verse seven. Now this says, is only my thoughts. Nobody has to agree with this me. Is but the, if you want to be right, <laughs> this is at the end of the transfiguration experience. Uh, it says that uh, – oh, uh, let me start a little earlier. See, you Please. always do that, I know, and I'm I, all prepared to go into the verse. I know, and I'm fine with that. You do it. But the, leading up to it, it says Peter I – t- I said Peter. You know, he he's kind of a blabbermouth. He jumps in feet, uh, mouth first into the room. Oh, <laughs> Rabbi, this is so wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. It, and listen, he said this because he didn't really know what else to say, and they were all terrified. And, and then you have this, then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, in a sense, shut up, Peter. This is my dearly beloved it's son. A, your version says shut up, no, Peter? No, I, I said that seems to be the sense of the expression. This is my dearly beloved son. Listen to him. <laughs> Don't uh, quit what, talking. What, what's, what, what, what happened, though? What's the very first thing that happened? A and shadow overshadowed a shadow. them. Well, let's check. could we say a cloud? A, a cloud, a cloud overshadowed them. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. it says, uh, and it says, "This is who is who is he saying Jesus? This is my dearly beloved son." Now, wait, let's close right there. Ancient language and beloved means mm-hmm. I knew him before I loved him before I knew him. Mm-hmm. You're my beloved, my Valentine. Mm-hmm. I loved you before I knew you. Anyway, so. Uh, this is my beloved son. Now look what the instruction is. What is the instruction? Hear him. Hear him. That's listen, it. listen to him. Listen to him. Yeah. 
Okay, now, here's my my first question. What are you supposed to listen to? What he says. What does he say? I don't know. Whatever he says. Well, about himself, about you, about the world, about God. Well, okay, listen to him. This is my beloved son, whom I love. So, shall we say loosely, we have a... Uh, God, in the story, in the four corners of the story, we have God the Father. Uh-huh. We have his son, Jesus, right? L- that needs explanation, but okay, go ahead. Uh-huh. Well, I'm just going, we got the cloud appearing. A voice comes out of the cloud. I'm assuming it's God. Okay, that's, that's clearly what it is. Okay. And then it says, this is my beloved son. Mm-hmm. I'm not making that part up. No. And he says, listen to him. Okay, so now I want to read what is it he's going to do or say. Well, we find out when he comes down the mountain. Okay. Now, let's, and what happens? He goes into a village, right? They went back down the mountain. He told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Okay, but let's not get tied up in losing the point. Okay. I thought you said. No, I said he went into a village. Do what he tells you, and here's what he told them. Okay, so. He goes down into the village, okay? Uh-huh. And look at verse now. So God says, this is my son. Listen to him. So now he comes down the mountain. Now, in Hebrew literature, going up always means you're getting closer to God. Going down means you're getting away from God, okay? That's why Moses goes up the mountain, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So now he, he's up there. A father, let's call it God, says, this is my son. Listen to him. Now he comes down, and then he goes into the village. And look at uh, verse 17. You want to read that, or you want me to read it? Further down in 17. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Uh, Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. It sounds like he's having an epileptic fit. Sounds like it, doesn't it? So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Ah, now what's the point of that? It's it's something that happened. Well, you know that one of the crowd, it's my son. What? Look at the comparison. In the beginning, we got... Well, so in the four corners of the story of the literature, uh-huh. you have God the Father saying, this is my son. Yes. Listen to him. Uh-huh. Now we go down and we meet a human father. And a human father is talking about his son. But did he bring his son to be healed? He says, your disciples can't heal him. Mm-hmm. Uh, if a disciple cannot heal him, then it implies maybe that the master of the disciples cannot heal him because they work for him. So he says, the, the, the one of the crowd, the son says, but there's a crowd there. Somebody gathered the crowd. Now, it goes on, it says, and they can't heal him out. And then look at verse 19, and he answered. What do you see there about the crowd? Okay, when the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. Okay. Sure. Now, in 19, it says, and he answered them, I guess that's Jesus, answered the crowd. And said, O oh, unbelieving generations, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. Now, so now let's get the picture. The father's saying, I brought my son. And I also brought all these people, too. And guess what? Your disciples can't do it. 
So he didn't seem to care that his son could get healed. He seemed to bring him that he couldn't get healed. But that's a father and son comparison to a father and son beginning up in the front of the chapter. Now, as he goes down, he says this. He says, Jesus, bring him to me. And look at 20. And they brought When he says, you faithless people, how long? Is he talking to his disciples? No, no, he's talking to this crowd. The crowd, okay. And the father. And the father's clearly one of the crowd because he said, it's my son. Mm -hmm. And look at 20. It says, then they brought the boy to him. And when he saw him, I guess the boy saw Jesus, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. Falling down, he began... Uh, rolling on the ground and foaming, foaming at the mouth. At the mouth Sounds like epilepsy, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Now, does Jesus just reach out and heal him? No. He says, how long has now, this been happening? Yeah. Yes, a question. Well, now, wait a minute. The boy is having this. All the crowd's standing there. Got to mm-hmm. get the picture. Mm-hmm, I do. And so in Hebrew literature, they write pictures. So he says, oh, bring him over here to me. You say, my disciples can't him. Well, bring him here to me. So he starts over, and the boy falls down right in front of Jesus, and the boy starts having the convulsions. Uh-huh. But Jesus doesn't heal him. Instead, Jesus engages in a conversation. Let us explore what Je- the conversation is. How long has this been happening? Uh-huh. And uh, so he says, gee, look at him. And all these people are watching. I think it's safe to assume that the disciples can't heal him. Now, here's the master of the disciples, Jesus, and he can't. he's asking, gee, how long has this been happening? But he doesn't reach out and heal him. First, he engages in this conversation, and the father says, oh, ever since he was a child. And it throws him down in the water, throws him in fire. Take pity on us and help us. 23, and Jesus said, if you can believe... All things are possible. Look what's, Now, the boy is laying in front of Jesus and the crowd having these convulsions through this entire conversation. And he's saying, if you can believe, look what he's working on first. He's working on very much like trees walking like men. Okay, wait. I just noted, have mercy on us, Jesus, and help us if you can. And then go. here it says, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. There you go. Now, remember that the setting is that it's a father and son on the mountain. Mm-hmm. Father and son come down into the village. But God said, listen to him. So let's see what he's going to do. He's bringing something down from that mountain that he's going to have people listen to. So he comes and he says, uh, and, and, uh, and immediately it says all things are possible. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. So first thing that was healed was his belief. Now, all this time, the boy's having these convulsions. If you're standing in the crowd, you think, well, maybe this guy cannot heal him, you know, because the disciples couldn't. And these guys are engaging in a conversation while this boy's going through this torture. And he's not looking to the faith of the child, the boy. Ah, he's looking to the faith of very, the father. Very, very good. And then he says, and when Jesus saw that the crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit and says, come out, I command you. And the boy basically gets healed. And in 27, Jesus takes up the boy by the hand, raised him, and he got up. Now, what we've got is the first thing that was healed was, shall we say, the belief of the spiritual side of the father. Of the father, yeah. Now, 
Now I think we're beginning to understand. He said, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Sure, exactly. I, I've never met a, uh, any of believer that couldn't identify with that. I do believe, but yeah. help me in my unbelief. So when God said, this is my son, listen to him, uh-huh. let us assume if I said to that father, uh, let's say the father, the boy fell off the back porch and broke his arm. If I said to him, what are you going to do about your son's broken arm? He might say, well, I'm going to have to take him to the hospital. And I say, why? Why do you care? And the father says, because he's got to get it fixed. And I've done that sequentially with many people. And some people you can do it in 10 questions, some 50. But you end up, why do you care? Why do you take him to the hospital? You get all kinds of answers. It goes from 10 to 50. Mm-hmm. Eventually, they come down to one answer. You know what it is? Because they love their son. Now, we go back to the first part of the story. God said, this is my beloved son. So what Jesus brought down from the top of the mountain, down into the village, and going down is going away from God, he brought down how to love your children. Not that you, if they're really in need of help, you help them because they're your children and you love them. So when God says, this is my beloved son, listen to him, he's going down and teaching first the father how to love his child. Then the child gets healed. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. Uh The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd. His people said he's dead, but Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood. And afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? And Jesus didn't say, oh, you're a bunch of you know weaklings and you don't have any faith. He said, well, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. It just seems almost like uh, you know, John Mark or Peter is remembering this this little interview with Jesus after this young boy is healed. And they remember this kind can only be taken out with prayer. Mm-hmm. And so there seems to be a little bit of insight there about about healing and about the authority sure. which with the as as God's and, people. And the we setting can, is on top of the mountain close to God, you got the story says God the Father and Jesus the Son. Mm-hmm. You go down into the village, going down into humanity, you might say, and it's another father and son. But this time the father doesn't say, I love my son. He just says, oh, he can't get healed. He's never been able to get healed. He's been like that for a long time. Uh-huh. And so Jesus first, he has to teach him that you love. Now, do we have a companion story in the what you would call the Old Testament or the Torah of this kind of thing? And the answer is yes. It, isn't it Elijah who goes to the woman of Phoenicia? Good, or is is it, that that's the one? A, that's a good one. Eli- I was thinking of Hagar. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Hagar is a Hebrew word. Ha is the, ger is stranger. Foreigner, the stranger. The stranger. Why is she a stranger? Because she's a stranger to the Jews, but she's a stranger because she's a stranger to God. Now, what happens is, in that story of Hagar, you got the same um, parent and a child. She takes her son, Ishmael, Mm -hmm. and she takes him out. And she puts him under a bush, and she walks away. She doesn't want to watch him die. Isn't that sympathetic? Isn't that so heartbreaking and sympathetic? Because she just can't stand to watch her son die. Except the next verse in that story is very revealing. 
Because what it says is, God says, Hagar, what's troubling you? I hear the child crying, but what's troubling you? You and I as humans say, well, she's a hurt mama. She just can't bear the pain of seeing her child die. Well, the point is, if your child's dying, you don't worry about your feelings. You go be with your child because your child needs you to be the parent. You don't hurt about your feelings. Oh, I can't stand to watch my child die. It hurts me too much. So the mother first had to be taught to love her child. Why does the imagery of abortion pop up in my mind? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I'm but, wondering. So you've got this. Now we've got this story. There's some mothers who need to learn to love their child. In this story, you've got, and then the child is saved, and a well appears. So first the mother had to have love for her child. And Hagar, and it's very clear in the verses, if you read them very carefully, God says, I hear the child crying, but what troubles you, Hagar, the stranger? You don't know God. Anyway, so what's going on is now in this story, God appears and he says, this is my son. I'm, I'm the dad. He's the son. Listen to him. He comes down and he teaches. The first thing he's teaching is love for his child, how to believe, mm-hmm. and prayer. So he's teaching those things, and the boy's healed. So when Jesus, I think what God is saying is listen to him. He's listening to what Jesus came down into humanity to teach. I think that's the meaning of the story. Hmm. Very, 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 very interesting, yeah. I, I, I would jump back into the scene of the transfiguration when God says, this is my beloved son, hear him. Uh, just a little, maybe a little teaching point or – I think there's one thing we have to recognize when you think of Jesus as the Son of God, there is one sense, and he he is and always will be and never ceased being the eternal Son of God, the um, second person of the Godhead, the co-equal with the Father in every way, uh, God, God the Son. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There is that uh, that degree, that the title that Jesus of Nazareth held. He never ceased being the eternal Son of God, God Himself. But there is also this: the reason He came to Earth was not to prove that He was God. Jesus didn't come. To, he didn't need to prove to anybody that He's God. He's either God or He's not God. And if He's God, He can never not be God. But he came to earth to take on flesh and become the son of God in a different sense, to become a redeemed human being, the firstborn of the twiceborn of the new race of the redeemed. And in that sense, too, he is the son of God. Uh, And I'm I'm wondering here on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, which – in what capacity does he say, this is my son, hear him? I have a feeling that it was, this is my son, the eternal son of God, because we're in the point of transfiguration. He is being revealed now in his deity, in his role as the eternal son of God, who had voluntarily taken on flesh and voluntarily left off the free exercise of his own divine prerogatives, initiatives, and authority as God. He didn't cease being God. That sounds pretty distant. But he left distant. off the authority. And if I, you don't mind? To become the Messiah. I would like to say that sounds distant, cold, and sterile. Well, I don't know. Because I'm talking about somebody loving their yeah. child. And, and I get that. 
but I'm wondering in 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 also another aspect of the story is that imagery, and I I think it's probably referring to Jesus in his role as the eternal Son of God, and he's talking about here his love for that. For well, that I, I get love. the imagery of going up on the mountain because uh-huh. that's Jewish literature. Abraham yeah. goes up on the mountain. Yeah, that yeah, kind of business. yeah, yeah. So you go up the mountain. So I see. He's at the top of the mountain. He's close to God. And God says, hey, this is my son. Now listen mm-hmm. to him. Mm-hmm. Now he, what does he bring from that conversation down into the valley to the village? Love to the for a father, of See, a father for his son. I yeah. think that's what – Now, yeah, I, I, I agree. That seems to be the lesson. Because really you got the comparison of on the mountaintop, you got the, the dad and the son. Down in the village, you got the dad and the son. But the story of the dad and the son in the village, he doesn't seem concerned about his child. What do you what do you think Moses and Elijah had to do with this? Is this, you know, there's an old uh, perspective that we have as believers that the Old Testament, of course, the central figure of the Bible, the central, the the, the main person, the main character of the Bible, is this Messiah. The Old Testament looks forward to this Redeemer, this Savior, this Messiah. Uh, and prefigures him and predicts him and describes him and so on, looking forward. And the New Testament looks back to his Jesus of Nazareth as that one. And so it looks back uh, on that sense. So the central figure uh, is this Messiah. I I, I come to the question, too, uh, then again about Moses and Elijah. Why was it why was it? Why did they? Well, I've been I, I kind of avoiding this, uh-huh. but I will tell you this. I think I can identify the particular Jewish holy day this takes place on, uh-huh. because he's talking about building three tabernacles. Uh-huh. Tabernacles in Hebrew is a Sukkot. Okay, that's one of the one of the three pilgrim feasts they call them. So, if this is taking place at Sukkot, uh, and I think it's contextually if it's because earlier. Uh, he feeds the 5,000, the 4,000, uh-huh. and then we have this holiday about building these tabernacles. Well, if that is the day, there is a Jewish tradition, and I'm clearly saying it's not biblical. It's a tradition that uh, at the Sukkot, uh, different biblical figures show up at that time. Uh-huh. So, I mean, uh, that may be this. It may not be this. Mm-hmm. But I, I I can't avoid that in my mind that I am aware of that. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Well, our time is just about up, and I wonder if there's anything else we want to. We did start the book of Joshua. Is there anything now? We Joshua and uh, is now going into Canaan. Yeah, uh, I, I found it interesting on the last night before they go over the river to start war. They're going to war. People are going to die. This is. They're going to go over and they're going to start the battle with Jericho, this great walled city. By the way, let's talk about that real quick. Jericho. Jericho. What is Jericho? Jericho means the city of the moon god. Did Uh you know that? No, I did not. Yeah, the city of the moon god. So we've had the plagues and the defeating of the Egyptian gods. At Mount Sinai, you have the sound of the god's voice like a shofar. And you have the written word. Now they go to Jericho, the city of the moon god, and the walls fell down. And why? Because they blew the sound of the shofar. They, the city, the moon god, heard the voice of God transported from Mount Sinai in the sound of a shofar, 
and that's at Mount at the uh, Jericho, and they they carried the ark around, which is the word of God, and the and that was the first defeating of the moon god, which was the city of Jericho. Even today, did you know in Jericho, which is predominantly a Muslim town these days, they have a plaque out front that's because the city of the moon. Mm-hmm, of course. But so what you got is you've got the – and you, you catch it in Hebrew, but you won't catch it in English so much. Mm-hmm. It's the sound of God's voice in the shofar. Okay. It's the carrying the word. So what happened to Mount Sinai, they carried, okay. and they took it to defeat the moon god. What I was going to say, though, is that the night before they went over to this battle, people yeah. in a very serious sure. moment, yeah. it says the captain of the host of the Lord, something people think it was a pre-incarnate uh, appearance of, okay. of the second person of the Godhead, of the Son of God. But it, it tells them, he gives them battle instructions. And he doesn't say, put your archers over here, put your cavalry over here, put your infantry over here, do this, do that. He says, study God's Word. Don't forget your Bible, Joshua. Mm-hmm. Meditate on it day and night. Let to, Be careful to obey every word that's written. So then you'll be prosperous. Then you'll be successful. That's so interesting to me that instead of talking about battle strategy and weapons and and formations, and he, he talks about the, the spiritual aspect of hear God's word, take God's word. That is so interesting to me that the, the spiritual takes preeminence over the practical and let me considerations. Just, uh, the support you're saying only because uh-huh. we're hurrying. Mm-hmm. In chapter 4 of Joshua, verse 10, it says, They came upon the Jordan in the tenth day of the month. Why? What's the first to tenth day? That's the four days before Passover when they took the lamb. And then uh, in chapter 5, it says they go across over on Passover. Isn't that interesting? And it is very interesting. And listen, you tell our listeners something every uh, every week. Every and week it as has, we start. It goes with it? this two dads. Always be the kind of parent you would like to have. Always be the kind of person you would like to have for a parent. God bless you, everyone. We'll see you next Sunday night. Stay with us this coming week, Monday through Friday. We'll go through the uh, book of Joshua. And you'll enjoy the journey. We can talk about it again next week on the Bible Live Quiz Show. God bless. Bye-bye. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The 
explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.